Tonight we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 35. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go there. And we're going to cover a few chapters, a lot of Bible texts. And so prayerfully, you, you brought your Bibles and you're interested in learning what we have in front of us. Isaiah 35 has to do with the millennial kingdom. And so that's what's going to happen right after the tribulation period. Jesus Christ will come and he will literally reign on earth for a thousand years. And it's going to be amazing. Uh, we look forward to it. We know that man has tried, uh, but man, things are not getting worse. We need the return of Christ. And so look what we read here. Isaiah 35 in verse 1, it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and, and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord the excellency of our God. And so we just jumped right into it. But if you guys remember, chapter 34 was about the judgment really of the world, right? And so, boom, after that comes this time where in one sense, like the rain is going to be everywhere. You know, the, the weather's going to be different. Everything's going to be different. You know, just in case you didn't know, some of you young guys, maybe you didn't know, um, a lot of people like to live in Southern California because the weather is amazing. And so I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm 99% sure that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be these climactic changes and the weather will be good everywhere on planet Earth. Imagine that. Uh, the rain, these, these deserts, uh, they're going to blossom. These deserts are going to sing. And so just to give you a glimpse and you're like, well, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that God's going to take care of our planet and we're going to have you know, rain and green and flowers and peace and all that. But just think uh, how that affects us, you guys. You know, this life is hard. You know, it's been said that in one sense, this life is the closest thing to hell that we'll ever experience because it is hard sometimes, you know. Um, but when we look at the millennial kingdom, when we, when we see what's in front of us, we, we get encouraged. And that this is the purpose of this, that when Jesus comes and reigns, it's not just going to be um, non-climactic. You know, uh, I mean, everything will change. Uh, and we're going to see that. Uh, here we see the, the wilderness, the wasteland, the desert. They all rejoice and blossom, and they actually sing. And uh, we're going to see the glory of Lebanon. Earlier in chapter 33, verse 9, it talked about the earth mourning and languishing. Lebanon was ashamed and shriveled, Sharon like the wilderness, um, Bashan and Carmel. But here we see, you know, it's reversed. And so um, this is what Isaiah says in verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And so he's talking about the millennial kingdom. And so who is he addressing now? And again, you're going to see this as you study prophecy. He's studying, he's talking to those in his day. It's about 700 BC. And he's telling them, hey, you guys, don't be afraid. You be strong. And then he's talking to us today. And here we are in the year 2022. 
And then he's talking to those in that day, in the future. Because like we talked about, and you guys, hopefully you know the order of events. That first comes the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment. Then the seven-year tribulation. And that's going to be where God judges the world and God deals with Israel. And God's actually going to save Israel. And then the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so um, it's them, when your guys are there and you're going through difficulties and when you're going through trials, when you're going through tribulations. I don't know if you guys are facing it. I'm not sure if you are, but I mean, if not, you will eventually. And, and God says, hey, um, um, you don't, don't be afraid. Be strong because God is going to save the day. You know, some of you guys know that things going on with my mom, praying for her. She's gone through a lot. And I'll tell you what, you know, I can't give you guys all the details, but there's a lot of trials right now. And I feel, you know, you're feeling the pressure, you know, and you're getting hit from this angle and then that angle and then all these other things. And, you know, I'm the only child, so I don't have other siblings, you know, to help me with the responsibility. And so, you know, of course, it's a blessing but, you know, there's so much going on right now. And then the enemy comes in and he just, you know, throws a wrench in different ways. And, and I just, you know, you're feeling it. You're feeling it. And I'll tell you what, uh, unless I had like the word of God and the spirit of God, uh, I would definitely be crushed and overwhelmed. But, but here, as we go through the difficulties, uh, what we find right here is, is God is just saying, hey, Isaiah, strengthen the weak hands and, and make firm the feeble knees. And as a matter of fact, Say to those who are fearful heart, and I like that. He's, he's almost like ordaining you. You go out and you say to those who are, are fearful hearted, you tell them, be strong, don't fear. Behold, your God is coming with this vengeance. And in one sense, you know, you're wondering, well, how can we strengthen people? How can, you know, so that one's going, they're hurting, they're struggling, they're afraid. How can we strengthen them? And I think it's through these words, and we have, number one, the truth of God's presence, and then number two, we have the truth of God's promise, that even though we go through difficulties, that God works all things together for good, and in the end, uh, we win. And so Isaiah puts the words in our mouths. He tells us exactly what to say, that God is going to come and save the day. He's going to have his way. And that truth should comfort our hearts. Now, I will say this, you guys. I got to tell you this, just, you know, being honest, you know. Sometimes I, I get afraid because I'm afraid that the will of God is not going to line up with my will. You know, like, yeah, I don't want this person, you know, to pass. Or I don't want to go through this, God. Whatever it is that, in one sense, I'm afraid and that's where sometimes I find myself just struggling and my stomach is, is twisted and it's in knots and I feel like my blood pressure is going up, you know, and it's like, and, and then the Lord really has to deal with me because I think sometimes that's our problem is just, you know, we don't want God's will. We want something different, but we need to know, I need to know that God's will is better than my will. And I need to rest in that. And so, you know, Lord, uh, we're afraid. Lord, sometimes we feel weak. But here Isaiah is saying, um, man, we're going to go through tribulation. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, John 16, 33. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for, you, for I have overcome the world. Amen. And so ultimately the king is going to come and that should comfort our hearts. Do you guys ever think about heaven? 
Do you ever think about um, when we are, we're going to see Jesus and he's going to be reigning on earth? Isn't that going to be cool? I mean, that's our home. That's our home. We're fish out of water. And so the, the king will come. Look, it says in verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. In those days, I won't need contact lenses. It's going to be so cool. Because right now, I'm half blind. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb or mute will sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and and rushes. And and so, you know, during that time, again, how how awesome it's going to be. Not only are we going to have great weather and and lush, you know, gardens and green and blossoms and all that kind of stuff where they're, they're pretty much singing to God, but we're going to have uh, these, this healing that, that God gives to us. And we got a glimpse of this when Jesus came the first time. Remember, he healed the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the mute. He did that with uh, you know, his power. Um, here it mentions these healing waters, you know, these streams in the, in the desert. And, and so I'm not sure if that's kind of like um, symbolic language as far as just Jesus blessing us, uh, you know, healing us with his presence, or if it's literal, if it's literal, maybe it's these rains that come and these springs that flow that actually feed these trees, and then there's fruit, and then there's leaves, and all you got to do if anything bad happens is you eat some of that fruit or you take some of those leaves, and that actually brings healing to us. Imagine that. You know, um, it's interesting what we read in in Ezekiel 47. It talks also about the the millennial kingdom. And it says in verse 12 that fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. This is speaking of the millennial kingdom. And the leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. And there will always be fruit on their branches. And there will be a new crop every month for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple and the fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. And so now, you know, it just, it breaks your heart when you see the, the blind, when you see the lame, when you see the deaf, when you see the mute, when you see all the different, you know, special needs and things and, you know, even the, the mental illness and all that kind of stuff. And isn't it just a, a reminder, a constant reminder that we live in such a dark and broken world? But then when the Lord comes, how, man, everything, God's going to just, man, he's going to show us how beautiful it is when we allow Jesus to be the king. Now, that right there, and when you read the Gospels, and you guys, if you've read the Gospels, you're going to know this very well, that, you know, that's that kingdom, it's literal, it, it will happen, we're going to experience it on planet Earth, but it's also something that we can also, in one sense, experience now. I tell you what, if you let Jesus be your Lord, if you allow Jesus Christ to be your king, then you're going to experience aspects of this now. It's a completely different life when you allow the Lord uh, to lead you. You know, we read here in in verse 8, it says, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. I like that. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. And whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. 
No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And and so more than likely, this is in reference to the road that leads up to Jerusalem. And there's going to be a literal highway. Uh, It's called the Highway of Holiness. And to me, I thought it was interesting when I read those words there in in verse 8, whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. And I tell you what, man, I thought of myself. Because I know who I am apart from Christ. I'm a fool. But but there's this road that I'm on. There's this road that God has me on. There's this life that God has given me. And it's in the Bible and prayer and fellowship and serving him. And it's just this, this road that he has me on. And even though I'm a fool, I have no common sense. You know, some people might look at me and they say, oh, Manny, he's a cool cat. Manny, he's a good guy. No, I'm not. I'm not. I was mentioning earlier today that I think the only thing holding up the halo over my head are the horns in my head, if you know what I mean. Man, I'm not, none of us are good, especially me. I know who I am. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. But if I abide in Christ, if I just stay here where I remain, and we're going to see it, of course, there. It's a literal thing. But here it's something where we read, you know, we kind of experience it, you know, in that spiritual sense. Then God keeps us on this road. You know, it's kind of like when you go bowling and they have the bumpers. Aren't you guys grateful for those? No gutter balls, you know. That's kind of what the Lord does for us. You know, what we find is as we just seek the Lord, God reminds us of our future. And what a place it'll be. Imagine going up to Jerusalem. Those of you who have already gone there uh, with us on this side of time, it's a, it's a blessing. And, you know, maybe you won't be able to go, you know, before you pass or get raptured, but one day you will. You know, and you're going to see Jerusalem. And I have a hunch that when you first see that the city and, of course, our Lord, that, man, the tears will flow and it's going to be so amazing. You know, what we find in looking at this chapter is that this is, in one sense, uh, God showing us what happens after. And next, we're going to see what God shows us as we go through the fire and how God sometimes delivers us from those difficulties you know he rescues us and that's what happens when the assyrians come look at verse 1 of isaiah 36 it says now it came to pass in the 14th year of king hezekiah that sennacherib king of assyria came up against all the fortified cities of judah and he took them and so if you had a map and you were going up you know jerusalem i mean up to towards jerusalem from Judah, and you're coming up actually from the north, you're going to see that the king of Assyria conquered 46 walled cities on his way to the capital, kind of like what we see, unfortunately and tragically, going on in Ukraine right now as Russia is making their way to conquer the capital. This is what's happening there in those days in uh, Jerusalem. And so it says in verse 2 that the king of Assyria sent to the Rabshakeh, who was an ambassador for Assyria, with with a great army from from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. 
And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Now, I know a lot of you guys are probably familiar with this story, but just in case you're not, something really fascinating. Did you know that this story is found pretty much verbatim, verbatim, three times in the Bible? And and so God says it, you know, in Kings, and God says it in Chronicles, and God says it in Isaiah. And you wonder, why does God have this story three times in the Bible? It's not like they had, could copy and paste, man. You know, <laughs> the scrolls were expensive. And uh, this is uh, something, basically, what we find that God really wants us to know. Uh, the title of the study, my daughter is telling me, Dad, you got to have titles. Uh, people are interested in titles. And so... The title of, of today's study is really, what do you do when you're surrounded? What do you do when you're surrounded by the enemy? And we're going to learn today what we need to do. I don't know if anyone feels that way right now. Um, one day, maybe you will. The enemy's going to attack. I mean, we've got to know what to do. Here we see the uh, representatives from Assyria. They meet uh, with the representatives from Jerusalem at the same place that God had met with um, Ahaz earlier and had tested his faith as well, a, a, a testing that Ahaz personally didn't pass. But now we have it again. It's with King Hezekiah. And we're going to see what happens. In verse 4, it says, Then the Rabshakeh, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, Huh, the great king, yeah, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? I say, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt on which if a man leans, it will just you know pierce and go into his hand. And, and so is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, well, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? I mean, you know, one of the ways that the enemy is going to wear you down is just through lies and manipulation. And what we find right here is he wants to get into your head. Now, I remember when I used to wrestle and that was part of the game, man. You know, you say something or you do a, do a look or whatever. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get into their head. And that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get into our head. He tries to then get into our heart. He wants us to surrender. He does not want us to trust God. Now, whatever the situation is, we can freak out. I can freak out. I'm like, Lord, this is crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. And God's like, what's up? Don't you trust me? And you know what? Because the enemy comes in and these things end up happening. And he's like, you know, interesting. This guy, Reb guy, he wasn't even speaking truth. He was misunderstanding. I mean, at this point, Hezekiah no longer trusted in Egypt, but he thought he did. And and what Hezekiah did, as a matter of fact, is he was doing a good work because the way that it works in, in, in Judah, and, and you'll see it in the nation of Israel when they were there, is that you know they have the temple uh, uh, in Jerusalem, 
And so the people were required to bring their sacrifices to the temple because what ends up happening is if you make an altar here, an altar there, an altar there, and it's throughout the countries, they, they end up kind of losing the connection. They end up, next thing you know, they're worshiping these other gods on those altars. And what Hezekiah was trying to do and eliminate all those other altars is he was trying to do the right thing. Hey, listen, you guys, we got to get our nation back to God. And it's just so beautiful, actually, what Hezekiah did. I wish that could happen to our nation. I wish that somebody would rise up, that some leader, some politician would rise up and realize that it was the Lord who established this nation under Judeo-Christian values. And wouldn't it be cool if someone just restored us into that place? Again, not that we've ever been like 100% Christian, but we were a Christian nation. And so Hezekiah was doing that work. This guy, Rabshakeh, he comes in and he starts talking smack. And he goes on to mock him in verse 8. Now, therefore, he says, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel or, or fight off one captain of the least of my master's servants? That would be a low-ranking officer and put your trust in Egypt for, for chariots and horsemen. You don't, you, you guys, you don't have a chance in life. You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to win, you know, unless you surrender to the ways of the world, unless you surrender to the strategy of Satan, fall to your flesh, just give in. That's what the enemy is telling them, right? And, and what ends up happening is he's even mocking them. You don't have the strength. You don't have the manpower. You don't have any, you don't have what it takes to win. I can give you you know, horses, but you can't put any riders on them, you know, and, and what he's doing is he's just trying to wear them down. Listen, I pray that you wouldn't allow the enemy to wear you down. I pray you wouldn't allow the trials to, to, to weigh you down. I, you might be surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. You might be going through crazy times right now, but man, you're right where God wants you. Don't allow the enemy to do this to us, to you know, basically, the only way that they would lose, the only way that Jerusalem would lose is if they quit. That's what he was telling them. Surrender. Surrender. Just surrender to me. You know, he says in verse 10, have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and, and destroy it. <laughs> and what a liar. Have you guys learned that yet, that they lie in this world? People lie. There are, there's fake news. I mean, it's just all over the place. And he's telling them, hey, the Lord God, you know, Jehovah God, he's the one that sent me here, you know, to come up against this land and destroy it. And all he's doing is he's just planting those seeds of doubt. Verse 11, then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rashaka said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? You know, there's a similarity in the Hebrew and Aramaic language, um, but there's enough of a difference 
So that if this individual spoke to them in Aramaic, then the people wouldn't understand what he's saying. And so these guys are trying to prevent panic, you know, in the city. But this guy's all, no, no, I'm going to talk their language because, and again, he's, he's threatening them. He's threatening them, he's saying, because they're going to end up eating their own waste. And so verse 13, it says, And the Rebshekah stood and called out with a loud voice. And he's still speaking in Hebrew. And he said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me uh, by a present. Or if you have another translation, it says, open the gates. Now again, remember, they're surrounded, and this guy is talking. He says, just open the gates and let us in. Make peace with us and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Imagine that. You know, it's the enemy saying, why are you serving God? What in the world are you serving? If you just come, you don't need him. And I'll get you the house. I'll get you the car. I'll get you the clothes. I'll get you the food. I'll get you all the stuff that you want. Just serve me. Now, that's kind of what he's saying. You know, open up these gates and let me in. And, and basically what he's saying is to trade in God for all this stuff. You know, and this is something that, of course, the enemy is going to tempt us in. Uh, it's something that I think that we probably deal with frequently. And I was thinking about, I don't know why, I was thinking about Pinocchio, you know, and uh, it's a great story. Um, I was reading the, the real version of Pinocchio. and that Have you guys ever read like the, the real, the book? He was bad. He was really, he was worse than the Disney version. But I've seen the Disney version, and so that one I'm more familiar with. And so eventually, you know, Pinocchio goes, and what do they want to do? They want to take him to Pleasure Island, right? And in Pleasure Island, he gets to eat, and he gets to play, and he gets to have fun. He doesn't have to go to school. He doesn't have to do his responsibilities. And it's kind of like the enemy just saying, I promise you the world, you know? And for a season, yeah, it's great for a season, but it doesn't take long. Eventually, what happens to Pinocchio, he starts turning into a donkey, right? And so um, that's a great story. It really is. I love the way that at the end he turns into a, a boy and just how it all happens. But it's kind of that way with the, with with us, you guys, with with the life. What's your price? Oh, I'll get you a you know a fine girl, and you're going to get married. I'll get you this you know, handsome, buff, rich guy, and, you know, but they're not Christian. It's okay. You know, they're good people or whatever they are, this job. And, you know, yeah, so you got to work on Sunday. It's no big deal. Or you don't, you know, might not be able to serve anymore, but it's okay. There's, you know, and, and he'll just offer you things to try to take you away from this passionate relationship that you have with God and try to strip you of trusting in God. And, and this is the battle. He even says in verse 18, beware lest Hezekiah persuade you. I mean, he's warning them. Don't believe the pastor, what he's saying up there. Don't believe the Bible. 
Be, 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 beware, as he's persuading you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Listen, I'm here to tell you, the Lord will deliver you. Whatever it is that you're going through, and one day, when it's my day to go home, praise God, he still delivers me. So he's saying, don't let him persuade you. And he goes on to say, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of, of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the, the gods of Sepharvim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? You know, Assyria up to this point, man, they were undefeated and they were cruel and they went in and yeah, in those days, I mean, every nation, every locality, they just had multiple gods. Even today, if you go over to different places of the world, man, you know, Hinduism, millions of gods, right? And none of them were able to deliver, obviously, from the king of Assyria. But our God's different. Our God is the living God. We're going to see it later. Our God is the creator God, the caring God, the maker, the maintainer God. But this guy, he does not have a clue. Listen, we know God. They didn't. And I love what happens. They're, they're not gods. I love what the people do. Notice what it says in verse 21. But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. And I just love that. Um, to me, I don't know why when I read it, I kind of read it a little differently. It's kind of like, man, you know what? You got this peace that is available to you. It's a perfect peace that Jesus provides for you. And the opposite of peace is anxieties and fears, and you're freaking out and you're frustrated. But you've got this peace, and the devil comes in, and he tries to rob you of that peace. And I just love the way that they held their peace. I'm just drawn to those words. You know, the devil comes in and he's doing his thing and he's yelling and he's screaming and he's tempting and he's, you know, moving and maneuvering and things like that. And he's surrounding and you just don't respond to the devil. Your eyes are on the Lord. You don't react in a sinful way. You don't take the bait. You hold your peace. Otherwise, you're going to be paralyzed in fear. Remember we read earlier in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me ask you tonight, what, what threat are you facing? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid you know, that you know, you're not going to get whatever the, the dream that you want? Listen, you, you won't die until God says, you're done. You're not going to die before then. And then secondly, his dreams are better than your dreams. We have nothing to be afraid of, you know, but we have to make sure that our threats are met by God. Are you a Christian? Yes or no? Are you seeking God? Yes or no? Have you brought it before the Lord? Those situations, and here's something that we're going to deal with tonight. Have you really brought it before the Lord? Listen, a lot of times what's the reason that we don't have peace and the reason we're not experiencing victory is because we really have not brought it to the Lord. Adrian Rogers said, the problem today is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. 
And we're going to see the way we're supposed to pray, what we're supposed to do when we're surrounded by the enemy. Hezekiah is going to show us what to do. But if you're a Christian and you're seeking God and you've really brought it before the Lord, then what's the worst thing that can happen? God's will. And if it's God's will, then we should really have a peace about it. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Imagine that, my peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you, and so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I found myself, my blood pressure was starting to rise. I'm like, Lord, maybe I need more blueberries or something. I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, it's crazy. And I started exercising more or whatever. And then God's just saying, you know what? You really need to get your eyes back on me. You really do. I read a story about a mother who saw a thunderstorm forming in mid-afternoon, and she was worried about her daughter who would be walking three blocks from school to home. She was only seven years old. And so she decided to meet her, and the mother saw her walking nonchalantly in the midst of this thunderstorm uh, along the sidewalk. And she stopped to smile every time the lightning flashed. And so glimpsing at her mother, the little girl ran to her and she was enthusiastic and she said, Mommy, Mommy, all the way home, God's been taking my picture. (laughs) You know, and so much of it is just our perspective. You know, we don't have to be perfect, but we, you know, we have this relationship with God. Now, if you're here living in consistent, resistant, insistent sin, and you don't want to change, and you don't want to repent. Well, that's different. But if we're here, Lord, I, I love you. I'm not perfect, but I, I just want to follow you. There's nothing to be afraid of. I pray that we would know that. We've got to trust him. Verse 22, it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, they came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, and they told him, the words of the Rabshakeh. And so it was, we read in chapter 37, when Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And so you're surrounded by you know, 185,000 Syrians. You've got this king who has been undefeated. He's cruel. He's going to come in. He's going to cut off arms. He's going to gouge out eyes. He's going to cut out tongues. He's going to kill. They're going to ravish the women. I mean, it's just a crazy situation that they want to do, right? But you know, God's given you promises. We've gone through the book of Isaiah. God had already told them, no, you're going to be delivered from this. And so, you know, what do they do? They come, they tell the the king, Hezekiah, what does Hezekiah do? He tears his clothes, he covers himself with sackcloth, and, and, and then he goes into the house of the Lord to pray. That's what he does. You know, and as I was reading this, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I was like, Lord, I, I, would probably, I should probably get some sackcloth. 
I mean, I got soft clothes. And I remember Jesus talking about John the Baptist. And he said, when you went to go see John the Baptist, you didn't see a guy with soft clothes. You only see a guy with nice soft clothes in the king's house. You know, and again, not to be weird, there's a time we you know we have nice, comfortable PJs. Don't you guys like that? And our sweats and stuff. And so we're all comfortable. But man, you know, when, when you're facing these battles... I mean, is that the way we're supposed to pray, all comfortable and cozy? No, we got to tear our clothes. We got to put sackcloth on. We got to go into the house of the Lord. That's what Isaiah, that's what Hezekiah did. And then he sent these other guys and he said, hey, man, talk to Isaiah. Maybe there's a word from the Lord. We need other people praying. This is what we do when we're surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. This is what we do when we are in the evil day, when we're, there's times that are going to be tougher than others. You know, if you think about what's going on in Ukraine, they've actually been fighting since 2014. So it's been a long time, but now the battle is raging, right? Blood everywhere. It breaks your heart. Well, our, our life as Christians is always a battle. There's always a war. We are soldiers. But now, there's going to be days, there's going to be seasons, there might be even years where it's going to be tougher. And so my question for you, my question for me, is will I pray like this? Will I really, truly pray the way that I'm supposed to pray? Because he wasn't messing around when he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on. And if you've ever worn sackcloth, we actually wore some real sackcloth. I actually went online on Amazon and tried to find sackcloth. And all they have is the comfortable sackcloth. No, the real sackcloth. It just tears up your body. But man, it was like, Lord, uh, we need you to work. Where do you go? Well, number one, you go into the house of the Lord. And I like the way that it went. You know, have you guys ever heard that saying, when you go through the difficulty, don't go to the phone, go to the throne. So first he prayed. Second, he got others involved in praying. And that's kind of the, what, the way that, that we should do it. You know, in Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. And that's what we need to do. When we go through difficult times, when we're pulling our hair out, when we're wondering, oh, Lord, I don't know how this is a positive. There is no answer for this. This is an impossible situation. I feel not only surrounded, I feel cornered. And God says, run to me. Run to me. Don't do it casually. Do it with passion. You know, it says in verse 3, and, and, they, and they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, they're talking now to Isaiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. I mean, if you think about a woman giving you know, birth and, and the labor and she's going through and she's just now, she's just so tired and she's like done. She just has no strength to deliver the baby. That's kind of where they were at. They'd been through so much. And the enemy will try to wear you down and wear you down. And, it's the, and then when you feel like you can't go through anything else and something else happens. But God will give, never give us more than we can bear. And so it says in, in verse 4, it, it may be, again, they're talking to Isaiah, that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. There, therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. 
I mean, going to Isaiah, when he talks about, you know, what Rabshakeh had done, and he said, Isaiah, maybe there's a rebuke. Maybe there's a word from you that we can give to them. And then, Isaiah, maybe you can lift up your, your prayers and, and pray for the remnant there in the city of Jerusalem. And so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, thus you shall say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And again, it's uh, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And is that is that you? Is that me? Or are we, you know, a people that are we were we're courageous? We're, we're not afraid, no matter what. The future holds. We know who holds the future. Is that us? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because when we function in fear and not faith, we're going to get all jacked up. And so he's telling them, hey, don't be afraid. And then he gives them the details of exactly what's going to happen to this king. He's going to hear these rumors. More than likely, we're going to see later. These things were not, were not even true. But they heard these things. He goes back home. And eventually this king, this great king, this great king is going to die and his sons are going to kill him. And so it says in verse 8, then the Rabshakeh returned and sure enough found the king of Assyria warring against Libna for he heard that he had departed from Lachish and the king heard concerning uh, Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. I mean, these are things that he heard the second one right there in reference to maybe, you know, they were thinking this guy's going to come up and help Judah. That was not what was going on. But they hear these rumors, right? And so when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now this is a message from Rabshakeh. This is the message from the devil. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Talisar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iva, a lot of these nations were actually people that they had imported into the northern kingdom of Israel there in Samaria. And so he lists, he's like, man, whatever you do, whatever you do, man, he's the devil saying, do not trust God in this. You can't trust God in this. Do you know who I am? I'm the king of Assyria. But what does the Bible say in Romans 8.31? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, we are invincible. We are the children of the king. We are the church. We are his bride. We are his children. He will protect us and he will empower us. And I tell you what, he will honor your faith. He will honor that. But we can't be like Chicken Little. Well, you know, the sky is falling and she's all freaking out or whatever. No. And so it says, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He apparently had written it out. And I love this. And he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord again, spread it before the Lord, 
And then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, that's the hosts is in reference to him being the God of the armies of heaven, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. And so there you see God on the throne, the angels on the side. You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, the Lord, are the Lord you alone. And I've always loved this visual, you know, Hezekiah gets the letter and he goes and he just spreads it out before the Lord. And he's just praying. And I love the way he prays. God, they got defeated because their gods are not the real God. I know who I serve. I serve the living God. I serve the real God. And, and, and what do you do when you're surrounded by the enemy? Um, there's no way, Lord, that this can work out. And what do you do? Well, you just pray. And I wish we had more time, but when you get a chance, I encourage you, read Mark 9, 14 through 29. And it's just talking about how, you know, this this young son was, you know, demon-possessed and they couldn't help in any way until Jesus came and he cast out the demon and, but he's talking with the father the whole time. And the father's like, man, uh, is, there, is there any hope for him? And, and Jesus told him, he said, if you believe, I tell you what, if you believe, man, anything can happen. And so the father, he's like, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. I think a lot of times we're there. Like, yeah, I believe, but I tell you what, that kind of doubt. And, and just being honest. And so that mustard seed of faith was there you know, present to deliver his son from the demon. But, uh, you know, for us, Jesus is challenging us. Listen, I know that we're not a health, wealth, and prosperity church. We're not a name it and claim it. We're not a blab it and grab it. Some of the guys on TV, they say, hey, if you have enough faith, then you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And so we were like, well, well, I'm not like that. I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity guy. But what happens a lot of times is the Christians and sometimes Calvary Chapel, they throw out the baby with the bathwater and we don't, we don't have any faith. We're like, yeah, maybe he'll do it. Maybe he won't. And we don't really have faith. And you want to know how you know you don't have faith? It's because you're not praying like this. You're not praying with torn clothes and sackcloth and spreading out before God and, and just calling on the promises. And so what we find is God, I think, is teaching us what to do when we're surrounded, and I got convicted, I was like, Lord, this is for me. You know, I find myself in different situations, and Lord, this is important that I got to have this kind of faith that would bring me to my knees in such a way, just like, you know, Hezekiah was. And so what do we do? What do we read? We see next in verse 21, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, and he, he actually wrote it on a scroll. And he said, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Notice this. And you might want to circle this in your Bible. Highlight it. I don't know. This is so important. Because you have prayed to me. 
against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. This great nation would be humiliated. Why? This great nation would be defeated. Why? The, the desire, what's the desire of your heart tonight? What's the desire of your heart? Are you fighting for it on your knees? Because if you're not praying, then you can't claim this promise. James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, sometimes you don't have, why? Because you don't ask. Right here, what does he say? God, God tells Hezekiah through the prophet, because you prayed. To me, you're going to deliver this city. You know, these guys would be humiliated. Verse 23, whom have you reproached and blasphemed against? Whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants, you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water, and with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of defense. I mean, the enemy just wanted to thrash them. He wanted to ruin them. just like he wants to ruin us. But he goes on and reveals himself as the sovereign creator. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. God says to Assyria, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose. That's what they used to do to them. They would put their hooks and God says, I'm going to do it to you and my bit or bridle in your, your mouth, your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This will be a sign to you. Verse 30, it's a sign to Judah. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year which springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. Now, if you're not sowing and reaping, how are you being provided for? God says, well, this is going to be the sign that when I defeat this nation, you will know it was me. It was me. He says, you're going to be able to have food the first year, then the second year, but third year, it's kind of like back to normal, just sowing and reaping. And the remnant who have escaped at the house, it says in verse 31 of Judah, shall again take root downward. And I love this, bear fruit upward. That's what God wants to do in our life. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. Listen, the zeal, the love, the passion, of the Lord of hosts will do this. And therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it 
for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, more than likely, as in reference literally to King David, because God had made a covenant with him, but it's no doubt a reference to Jesus. And we are the people of Jesus Christ. And God says, listen, I'm not the enemy. He ain't going to come in your house. He ain't going to come. He's not going to have his way in this city. This city, it belongs to the Lord. This is Jerusalem. And so, you know, it's just so cool to read the promise. You guys, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't just have to squeak by, you know, we fly. Today I was able to share over at Calvary Chapel Downey, and I was talking to them how it says, when you put on the full armor of God, you're able to stand in the evil day. And I was telling them, I said, listen, standing to me is not just squeaking by. It's not just, oh, he survived. No, we thrive. And I was talking to them about standing. I says, we make a stand and you take a stand and you become outstanding Christians and you be Christians who stand out. This is what we're talking about, right? Hezekiah, he, he shows us what to do, and we're all going to be there in those times where we feel like we're surrounded, we feel like we're cornered, where we're getting assaulted, like the Russians are invading Ukraine. It's like that. It'll, it'll be like that. What do we do? We trust God, and we have this faith that brings us to this place of passionate prayer. And so it ends in verse 36. The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. And so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. And now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sharazer, struck him down with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. And, you know, the, the Lord gives the victory. Now, real quick, you know, when you go through this, it's not just for information, uh, just to know history. It's supposed to be for application. Lord, this is for me. I need your victory. I need this promise. I need to have this type of trust. I need to have this type of faith. I'm going to hear these lies, 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 lies. The enemy's going to try to wear me down, but I'm not going to listen. I'm going to hold my peace. And God, you're going to do a great work. And, and what you find in the book of Isaiah is interesting. And I have to share this with you as we close today. God delivered them from the Assyrians. God delivered them from the Assyrians. But in 586 BC, he didn't deliver them from the Babylonians, but he did deliver them in Babylon. So that's kind of how it works. Sometimes God delivers us from the fire, right? Oh, praise God, it went well. And then other times he delivers us in the fire. And it's during those times we're going to find in the fire even that God is doing a great work. So either way, he delivers us. Is he a good God? Yes.